CBRS or Citizens Broadband Radio Service has been touted to revolutionize enterprise wireless connectivity, but this four-letter acronym is not yet pervasive in CIO's technology stack. The questions remain what promise does it hold for businesses and the end consumers? What will be the real-world business impact of CBRS-based private LTE on telecom carriers and enterprises? Where does it make sense and where it does not? And is it really ready for the prime time? Hi guys, this is your host Ashish Jain from Kairos Pulse and you're listening to the Alignment Podcast where we go beyond the buzzwords and connect the dots between technology, its business impact and challenges in a way that is both accessible and thought-provoking. Today we have with us Taliver Heath who will help us fill some of the alignment gaps in commercializing CBRS and private LTE. I met Taliver at the OnGo booth during Mobile World Congress Los Angeles. While he has a very impressive background and vast knowledge and experience on this topic, his humble attitude makes him an instant friend. Together we will get to the bottom of the big promise CBRS brings to improve private LTE networks, bridge the gaps between expectation versus reality, burst some common myths and most importantly share how enterprise IT teams can leverage the benefits of shared spectrum provided by CBRS. So here we go. Hey, Taliver, welcome to the Alignment Podcast. Great, thanks. Glad to be here. Today, we are going to talk about some interesting topics related to uh, CBRS and private LTE and 5G and many other interesting technologies that are at disposal for enterprises to start thinking about the next generation of applications and innovation that they can start planning. But before we decode the four-letter acronym CBRS and details behind it. Um, why don't we start with a bit of your background and, and what's your involvement in this technology or solutions? Okay, uh, so my name is Talver Heath. I work for Google on the uh, Spectrum Engineering Group. We have been developing the Spectrum Access system that Google is uh, uh, using to allow access to the CBRS, the Citizens Broadband Radio Services Spectrum that the FCC has set up. We've been involved with this for a nearly a decade at this point because we were one of the first groups and not the first group that really pushed for opening up and making this a shared spectrum so that lots of different companies can use this underutilized resource. Awesome. It was a background in telecom or you started, yeah. you know, doing something else cooler and uh, how did you get here? Oh yeah. Sorry. I should go a little bit. So uh, I have, I've been at Google for about 14 years and my first job at Google or so was uh, really more of the uh, facilities and power infrastructure side of things. And then I've moved on into other areas of Google, but in the last three years I've been doing this spectrum access system. It's not really the RF side of it as much as it is the cloud services side of the world, because really spectrum access is all about doing the calculations that the entire community agrees on, but then doing them fast and efficiently so that we can make sure that we're providing the spectrum access as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So before that, I have PhD in computer science, degree in physics. Basically, those are the uh, the general background for me. I've done uh, my little work in with a, a series of patents and other various things that I'm I'm just shy about bragging a lot here. So I'm just one of those things where I, I'm trying to I'm trying not to go too deep into that, just because I'm I'm all humble about. I don't like to really like. I don't mind other people puffing me up, but it feels really awkward when I do it. So. 
well, well, let me help you out there. So guys, if you're listening, Talibur is being extremely modest. He has 40 plus patents under his belt. And like you said, he has PhD in computer science. And if I'm not mistaken, Talibur, you also served as a lieutenant in Navy for some time. Got up to a lieutenant commander, actually. Yes. So. Oh, yeah. wow. So how was that experience? And how do you relate that experience back to what you're doing now? The Navy, so the interesting part was I taught nuclear power in the Navy. I was actually a nuclear power instructor for multiple years and then went on into doing uh, law enforcement and physical security uh, afterwards. So I've done both of those sides. The Navy stuff definitely helped me uh, be able to explain complicated subjects to people and try to break down and present the ideas in a very clear way. And that's really helped my career in a, long, in a lot of ways. And hopefully will help me today be a little bit more clear on what's going on, because this is a very inside baseball kind of topic. But I'll try, I'll do what I can to see if I can clarify a lot of the terminology. Oh, yeah. No, we absolutely need that, not just on this podcast, but in, in general, in industry, to how to oh, break yes. technology in a way that it makes sense and for people to understand it. So let's start with... With that, so CBRS has been called out as a new innovation band. Let's just, you know, uncode that and, and try to understand what that really means. Sure. So if we think about the traditional way that Spectrum has been allocated pretty much worldwide, if not in the United States alone, it's basically a company bids or gets access to or a group gets access to a frequency range that the government says, this is now your Spectrum. Have at it. And so we have, for example, all of the various auctions and things have come up authorizing the 2.7 gigahertz area, the 2.8 gigahertz, the 600 megahertz area. All of these different spectrums were purchased by different groups for different reasons. But once a company owns that spectrum, they have full license to it. And in a lot of cases, they might not deploy all of the stuff at the same time. They might not be able to put up the capital that says we're going to now deploy hundreds of thousands of towers across the United States right now. So this spectrum that they've just purchased often goes underutilized for a significant amount of time before it's finally used, um, mainly just do this one company having it. Or worse, you have places like, and this is where the CBRS network comes or the CBR spectrum comes in, the Navy owns uh, the 3.5 gigahertz uh, spectrum. It is, they are the incumbent to use and it's specifically utilized by their landing radar for aircraft carriers. So there was a large amount of spectrum that this is 150 megahertz or so. It's actually 100 megahertz the Navy was using of a spectrum that wasn't being used anywhere inside the country because aircraft carriers tend to not show up in Chicago or Iowa. At the very least, we have these big giant areas. And then you have the fact that aircraft carriers aren't always around our country. So there's large areas of even the seaboard where their aircraft carriers are not at all times. So when the aircraft carriers aren't there, this spectrum is totally unused. So that was the uh, innovation behind the Citizens Broadband Radio Spectrum, the CBRS network was, hey, let's see if we can use this spectrum when the true owners of it, the Navy in this case, isn't there and isn't using it. That's what we've come up with the system. And this wasn't really possible before because you have to be in real time understanding okay, this group is using it at this time. Here's the current calculations to do to make sure there's no interference. So we have to run all of these calculations in the cloud to say if a transmitter can or cannot use it and cause or not cause interference. And that's to really use the uh, spectrum very widely. If you want, like a lot of your listeners may remember a decade or so ago of the TV white spaces as 
an attempt to do this the first time in a very static way across the country. And it was with a, a lot lower frequency. So therefore it went a lot longer and it had a lot of other kind of very, very patchy kind of network. But it was the first attempt at shared spectrum and utilizing areas that weren't being used otherwise. This is the next generation of that. And it's a lot more area and a lot more, it's in a sense dynamic, but it's also covers a large amount of area and has a lot of frequency access uh, that's available now. Well, that's that's amazing. And um, I saw some very interesting demonstrations of a similar concept. And I, I hope this concept gets into the overall license spectrum as well, which I'm sure you also noticed what DARPA is doing with this, with the contest that oh, yes. they created. Uh, when I spoke with them uh, at Mobile World Congress, it was pretty interesting to see how they're using the software-defined radios and, you know, having individual teams to create a similar concept of dynamic spectrum sharing across license spectrum as well, right? So I hope a technology like this finds its way into the commercial network where there is a lot of unused spectrum there as well. Oh, yes. There's, this is, we're hoping this is the first of the way that spectrums ends up being used, period. It's just that everybody, the spectrum is open and groups are using it. And then it comes down to just different groups purchase uh, basically privileges to use it. It's like priority access is what different companies would then purchase to protect asset deployments more than just simply owning everything everywhere at all times. Perfect. I have seen that many people use CBRS and uh, private LTE interchangeably, which to me reflects the lack of understanding, first of all. And uh, the reality, if and keep me honest here, is that CBRS yeah. is one of the spectrum bands that is available to be used with technologies such as LTE to implement a cellular network that can be private or public. And there are other options for enterprises to create private cellular networks using even license spectrums as well as other license technologies. So what's your take on that? That's pretty much uh, the way I'm thinking of it as well. If you th- The CBRS alliance and the CBRS actual band as it accesses it is attempting to be protocol neutral in a lot of ways. Uh, realistically, what it's doing is saying you have access to this frequency range. And that was also to accommodate uh, the Internet of Things, the IoT world that where devices might want, not want to use the entire LTE stack to communicate back up to a base station. In that world, uh, as long as you have access to the frequency, that's what the CBRS system is allowing. And on top of that, then you have to pick your protocol you're working in. That's either LTE or 5G. And that's going to be the protocol that is now communicating across that band with whoever has set up uh, and is using that frequency. Then on top of that is, okay, how am I using this 5G or this LTE system. And if I am running it myself with my own enhanced packet core, the EPC, if I'm running my own version of that, I'm running my own SIMs and I'm running where I'm allowing other people to roam onto my network, that is now my system that I am allowing other people to use. So that is my private LTE or private 5G or private whatever network that I'm building on top of the CBRS band. And so you could imagine as a bizarro world, you know, given I know there's some millisecond timings in all of these terminologies, but you could imagine if we did this with pigeon carrier, you could have your own private LTE network over pigeons. It would just be very slow and probably not work well for, you know, your phone would be a mess. But the that would be basically taking out what bandwidth it is or what band you're using to replace with the physical infrastructure. So it's just the different layers of the stack that we're talking about at any given time. 
So we start, and then the private LTE is really just a use case of the stack of technology below it. That's great. I think so far what we have been talking about is something which, you know, if a vendor and this wireless technology is listening or someone from a service provider is listening, they might be able to connect the dots. But do you see that the enterprises who are being pitched as one of the main consumers of this technology or private LTE, do they understand the value of it yet? And I mean, how is it finding, is it finding a place in their technology stack and what kind of learning curve they have to go through to fully utilize it? So we are seeing the enterprises step up and start exploring the possibility of LTE, mainly for campus deployments, because you need fewer transmitters for the outdoor campus areas, as well as inside large areas, inside buildings. Uh, LTE has, and the CBRS network has certain better properties than, for example, Wi-Fi. We see right now CBRS and Wi-Fi being used together in a lot of cases. The LTE system is well, what we're looking at and what you know, Cisco representatives will even say uh, you know, in, their, in their talks is that we're trying to kill the captive portal. Uh, when you go to a hotel, when you go to anywhere and you have to do this login thing and do all these steps, that should just be invisible. And what the CBRS ecosystem, if I'm putting it that way, or the private LTE world is trying to get rid of, do you need to do anything to just get online and start using stuff? Can you just start using the bandwidth and networks that are present and just use it? And that's really what the enterprises are seeing as a big value add, is that when people come to visit, when people come to work, when people come onto their campuses, they just have their devices all just work without having to do a lot of setup and a lot of configuration. This was, and that's the bigger side that the enterprises are really seeing, and especially with uh, large hotels or large deployments in large buildings, all of these people are seeing the same kind of technology that they can deploy fewer nodes with longer frequency or longer ranges uh, with the frequencies being able to penetrate a little bit better than Wi-Fi and get a larger amount of bandwidth to individuals without having to put nodes all over the place like they're doing Wi-Fi deployments now. So this is kind of like all three of these mixed together and it's a brand new system. So we're still all learning on what is the best deployment capability using, but it's so much bandwidth. We're going to figure out the best ways to use this over time. Okay, so let's just talk about that, right? So if we say CBRS share spectrum kind of opens up nearly 150 megahertz spectrum for commercial use, right? So which yes. includes a, a priority access license, um, which enables licensees to lease up to seven blocks of 100 megahertz each and a second category called GAA that offers around 80 megahertz of unlicensed use. Let us put that into perspective. What are we talking about here? Are we talking about more number of users? Are we talking about more data? Are we talking about you know more businesses within a square kilometer? What are we talking about once we have access to this? And how many companies can be simultaneously accessing that spectrum? Because we're calling it a shared or an unlicensed, just like Wi-Fi, right? So what kind of challenges we can foresee in this? And what are the benefits we can assume from it? So we're seeing, let's, uh, let me see if I can walk through a couple of those one at a time then. Let me first uh, clarify the GAA versus uh, priority access license. So the priority access licenses aren't actually going to be available until middle of next year for when the theoretical auction would uh, start uh, if everything works out well. What that means, though, is that you would say, I want to buy some county, Horry County, South Carolina. You want to say, I want to own the, you know, 20, I'm going to buy 20 megahertz priority access license in Horry County, South Carolina. And so you purchase that and you're happy and you've got your 20 megahertz. 
Now, what that really means is that we will stop other people from interfering with you in that 20 megahertz. But if you don't deploy anything and if you're not using it, other people still get to use that area because you're not using it. And so the general authorized access users still have the ability to use that frequency as long as they don't interfere with you. Now, you have the ability to use that frequency as long as you don't interfere with the incumbents or the other people that originally owned it. So if an aircraft carrier comes and parks outside Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for fun and has their landing radar going on there, you might not be able to use the 20 megahertz that you've purchased this license while the aircraft carrier is there because it has an overlap. So you have that 20 megahertz has now been quiesced by the aircraft carrier that happens to be using those for its landing operations. So even though you have the priority access, the GAA person, the general authorized access can't use it. You also can't use it because you would interfere with the incumbent. So this is a big difference between the licensing done before shared spectrum and the current and the shared spectrum idea is that it's all about protecting incumbents. It's not about guaranteeing the ability to transmit. Now, one more step then asking about what does it actually off, what does this get us then as far as frequency and bands? Well, this goes into how much penetration does 3.5 gigahertz have? How far does it go? Our campus deployments show that we're getting about like about a kilometer or so, quarter mile from a transmitter, we can do reasonably well and do pretty good coverage. And so we're being able to get speeds in the hundreds of megabits per second to cell phones, cellular devices within that uh, transmission range. So, and they will penetrate into buildings a little bit. So if you're far enough away from a transmitter, it doesn't go inside. You need need to put up your secondary transmitters inside, but that's also good because two different companies can deploy inside a building and not get interference. These are all about how much penetration do you get inside a building with the with the frequency? What is the building structured with? Where are the transmitters? For example, two transmitters directly on top of each other will interfere across two floors more than transmitters at the opposite corners of a building, for example. So all of this comes into play when we're doing analysis of where's the frequencies going, how far is spectrum and spectrum planning. Now, that goes into the question of, wait, so does that mean two people can deploy in the same area and interfere with each other? And sadly, the answer currently is yes. Version two of the specification will attempt to address that and I'll make, make for sharing uh, to be a lot more coordinated. That's called the coexistence issue. But right now we had to get out the door and version one was, we're just going to not interfere with the incumbents. We're gonna guarantee the incumbents are fine. And the thought is, and the thought's currently going that the deployments for a while are going to be sparse enough that, and because the range of these things is fairly limited, we're not going to see a lot of interference on deployments for a while until these deployments really take off. We don't have that many devices in the field, even as the initial commercial deployments have started, but we're still not seeing that many devices countrywide. So therefore the interference isn't really a big issue yet. And so we have time to figure out the best way to do coexistence solutions. And that's what all the entire slew of companies is currently working on. What is the best way to do coexistence? All of those kind of stack together as issues, but we're really just very hopeful that this abundant wireless network really shows like the promise and lets people figure out, yes, we're willing to tolerate some changes as we work through and uh, use this new bandwidth and this new spectrum. Right. Well, 
you said a couple of things that leads me let's do another question i have okay. or the open you know discussion i want to have on is you said the spectrum the way it is structured is to protect the incumbents right and the interference may become an issue going forward now industry is industry and we talk about technology in such a hyperbolic way that we try to say this will you know solve all the issues that are ever happening in the world mm-hmm. now let's talk about you know the challenges with the CBRS private LTE, you know, where do you think are the gaps in terms of how the industry is pitching its best use versus, versus the reality of where it fits well? So the let's talk about like the big problem that's going to be coming up. The previous way, and like so I shouldn't say previous, the current way that the rest of the spectrum is allocated is I own a frequency, I deploy my antennas, I assign them what channels they're going to operate on, and exactly what spectrum that each one of them is using. And I, as a network owner, say this is the way the plan works and everything works well and hooray. And once it's set, I freeze it in place and I try not to move things around very frequently because that causes issues and I have no benefit for doing changing of frequencies and moving things around. It's very, the networks tend to be more statically deployed. In the, in the world of this shared spectrum, I believe the challenge is going to be for vendors and deployers to understand it's more dynamic and that the spectrum, the 100 megahertz, especially along the coast, when naval ships come up, you may lose portions of the spectrum at any given time. And that's just going to be a fact of life. How you accommodate and how you change and adapt to those changes in frequencies are going to be a challenge. There's no, no doubt that it is going to be a challenge for the providers because it's just not in the world that they were currently using. So as we move forward, that's going to be like the thing that's the mindset that has to adapt. How it's done, not quite sure yet. We have ideas, we have concepts on which grants to use, but basically it's going to be a vendor question on what is the best way to transfer from one frequency to another quickly and seamlessly. This goes also into, we we talked about this uh, when we were at the Mobile World Congress together, MWC, and that was... The question of, is this a band that can just be used for everything? Can we use this across the board? Would you trust a pacemaker operating on this on an IoT thing if my pacemaker is running and saying, should I beat or not right now? And it's going to keep me alive. I would not use this band for that because the income, I would not do that. Well, first off, I'm not sure I'd use any cell phone for that, but the uh, but let alone this frequency would be a bad idea because this is a frequency that can disappear if the incumbent says, take it out. Now, let's be real. Number one is the FCC literally can do that on any frequency at any time anyway, and they're totally allowed to do that. Number two is there are in the 150 megahertz of spectrum available, the Navy only has the bottom 100, the top 50 is used by the fixed satellite providers. So generally in all the areas, you always get 50. But even in those areas, there are cases where there's a problem. We want to move those frequencies around. They're too crowded. There's interference at these levels. All of this means that for now, this is a capacity band. This is a, I want to get a large streaming video over right now. If I'm in a hospital and I want to beam my x-ray system to the doctor's cell phone so he can quickly look at an x-ray, but if I don't get it in the next minute, the doctor can still walk over and look at it on a screen. That's that's kind of a level, not that he's in surgery, needs this value right now, but more of a, I'm in the middle of a diagnostic and it would be useful if I had two gigabytes of data on my phone that showed what this x-ray was so I could pinch and zoom in. 
that's kind of going to be the application space, not the immediate, oh my God, if I don't have this now, this patient dies. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think that's, that's a big alignment gap here that I can see because a lot of use cases that are being pitched around this private LTE concept using CBRS band are, you know, definitely indoor use, outdoor use, you know, public spaces, but also industrial IoT, which always makes me wonder like, okay, if this is not going to give me any kind of certainty and assurance about the availability of the band and the, you know, the technology hasn't figured out how do I seamlessly switch? Am I going to put my bets on using this for industrial automation? And there, there are parts of industrial automation, don't get me wrong, the way it can be used. But if I am making decisions on my production line and it impacts the safety of the people around there, I'm not going to use it for that. Yeah, I wouldn't use it for safety, but for logistics, for uh, measurements, for monitoring everything. Uh, in a lot of cases, if you're talking like, for example, if we were doing uh, temperature for ground readings of uh, fracking deployment out in the world where, okay, if I don't get the next five minutes of data, you know, it'll tell me the next five minutes after that, it'll give me a backlog of all the data that's collected in the middle of it. That's likely going to be sufficient for a lot of these larger IoT type deployments. So let's talk a bit about how this band could work. And I'll go into a little bit of detail, especially about the safety uh, systems. The radio that each individual transmitter is doing a heartbeat to a spectrum access system, like Google's spectrum access system, but to a spectrum access system, it does this heartbeat on a, say, for example, every minute basis. And it's asking, may I continue to use this frequency? If it comes back and says, you're suspended, it has basically about two to five more minutes, depending on when it last heartbeats, everything like that, to stop using the frequency. Mm. So if I'm running a safety operation and I have, and this is where the vendors would come into play, is to tell downstream, oh, by the way, we're about to lose this frequency. If you're doing something dangerous, now would be a time to stop. And so what you'd see is maybe it slows down, maybe the device transfers over to a, a different background, a more expensive frequency to use. Maybe it says, okay, I'm just going to stop totally right now because I've, I can do it. It's not a big deal to stop the line for 20 minutes. That can be done without too much hassle or all the savings we're getting over using the, L, the rest, of LT, or rest of the CBR system anyway. All of these things would be possibilities that the CBR system allows and you'd be able to bake into it. The vendors have not caught up to this yet, but this would be the kind of things that you'd put into an industrial automation system that the band totally allows. Okay, that's good to know. I'm going to switch gears a little bit, right? We've talked okay. about the benefits of technology, what it can do, what applications it can run. Um, let's say, you know, I'm wearing a, an enterprise IT hat now. And I'm trying to figure out my wireless network strategy, right? So let's... Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> that's, a, that's always a tough part, right? So today, if I ask them, what, do you, what, is, that, what is that strategy? I, I'm sure 80, 90% of the times they'll say it's Wi-Fi, right? Um, yes. So let's peel that onion. Going forward, what that strategy may look like. The first fundamental question, I believe, is to ask, okay, do I even need a wireless connectivity in the building and outside the building for local and wide area? My bet is, and I, like I, I will, I will just do my own prediction is that within, I'd say the next decade, you're not going to see anyone having a wired internet connection anywhere in a building. All new deployments will not bother with wired internet connections. Okay, that will be those will be strictly for data center operations. So that would be like you put fiber to different machines and data centers. Outside of data centers, at your laptop, at your desktop, 
at anywhere else, you don't bother with a wired connection at all. You're going to have enough bandwidth just in the air. Okay. So that gives a very clear answer that the answer is yes to I do need a wireless connectivity in the building. Yes. So I think the second most prevalent question going to be is, do I need my own wireless network? Or can I use the a... public wireless network offered by the cellular network providers in my area? So now that's actually, let's, let's even add one more aspect to that. As I, as an IT person, do I need my own or can I use my buildings? Possibly if I'm leasing out of a building, will the building provide the wireless technology and let me use that? Okay. And so if the building has it, in a sense, I've moved into a building that already put in the LTE network on everything and I can just start using that immediately, does that also suit me. Now that's punting a little bit and that's just moving the IT problem from my IT problem to someone else's IT problem. Right. So we can, we can kind of treat that in the, the same way, but I'll go up. I'll, I'll say that people still deploy uh, the DAS systems in buildings just because not everybody has the giant, you know, Verizon, the AT&T, the sprint antennas directly next to their buildings. Because of this, you tend to have all sorts of shading and shadows inside your building. So if you're going to have wireless inside your building, sadly, with all the metal and stuff in buildings, you're likely going to need a wireless deployment of some sort. Either yours or your building owners are going to have to provide one. So I'd say, yes, sadly, you have to deal with it. You don't get to use. Now, outdoor, you might be able to get away with your uh, with, with another company's. But right now, I think for indoor, you're going to have to either use yours or someone else's deployed indoor deployment. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. So the way I'm the way I'm thinking this, Oliver, is, you know, from the way I'm looking at it from a, my own private network versus you know, leveraging public network. So if I look at today, right, so the, the options to me as an enterprise ID person, I mean, definitely we said, okay, for everyone in the in the companies and employees and staff and other use cases, I definitely need Wi-Fi and I have to have that connectivity. So that kind of gives them, yes, I do need private network for some applications. So the decision cycle there is, do I need my own wireless network or can I use some sort of a public wireless infrastructure that is out there uh, for my wireless connectivity? And the, that decision criteria is going to be based on the type of devices, the applications, the users, uh, the performance that you need for those applications and many such things. Yeah, where you're building it, yeah, all the, the actual, how much metal do you have in there? Are you doing an automation facility? Because you're going to have a huge amount of moving metal that just is, causes nightmares on all sorts of uh, transmission stuff. Oh, yeah, lots of things like that. Right. And then if I go down the path of saying, okay, fine, the public infrastructure gives me what I need, but then what kind of a local infrastructure do I need to make sure that a public wireless network performs per my needs? And that's where I think the repeaters, the DAS, the small cells, as of today, are playing a role, right? So I need to I need to have yeah. some sort of a local CPE or, or infrastructure that, that gives me that performance. Now, when I go to the private wireless network today, the options mostly to that wireless IT guy or the IT guy, the enterprise is, hey, I built Wi-Fi. And there are some who are actually doing private cellular networks using mostly 4G technologies and maybe in future 5G, but yet to see that. So... And those are typically using the license spectrum solutions today, if I'm not mistaken. Although we have started to see 5 gigahertz LAA-based technologies that carriers are usually looking to do to build, you know, their own, you know, extend their networks. But here's where I see that the transition is going to happen in that enterprise IT strategy to start looking at 
holistically, okay, now my private wireless network has an option to build a private cellular network, which was up until now was not possible either because it was cost prohibitive or I did not have my skills. All of a sudden, we are talking about something new that they can leverage using shared spectrum or unlicensed spectrum that they can own that cellular network. Up until now, I don't think enterprise IT mostly, right? I mean, there are there are certainly always verticals that have utilized the private networks or private cellular networks in particular. But now, it is is it is it fair to say that this makes it possible for a broader set of organizations to start thinking about cellular as a way to incorporated in their wireless technology, wireless stack? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Uh, not even the least of which is for if you're doing a DAS, you actually have to, ask, of course, you're asking the individual providers for permission to put up a DAS. So it is a, hey, please come put one up for us and we'll pay you and all the other things. And if they say, no, it doesn't fit our plan or no, we don't have time yet or just no, for whatever reason, you can't do that. So now this is allowing... Absolutely. You can put up your private LTE wherever you are. You, it's to use a buzz phrase on a different way. So as opposed to the buzz phrases, all the letters we've been doing, the other buzz phrase is the uh, democratization yep. of spectrum. So it would be that everyone is now a little bit now. And this goes also back to your other problem, though. But how is it going to work with everyone using it at the same time? And that's one of the things where we're trying to do with COEX and we're trying to see what the answer is. Uh, to this, but yes, this is going to allow everybody to put up and use their own uh, private LTE networks as they desire. I can, I'm really seeing a, a lot of potential in the middle of the country in areas where that are traditionally underserved by wireless deployers and sp- just for giant areas that say, well, we don't get any cell phone coverage from this company because it was just too hard for them to put up stuff. Now we get that ability. It's extending that thought, right? So, and I asked this question earlier, where's the alignment gap, right? In terms of how it is pitched versus how it is being used. And another area where I, you know, always struggle to believe and, you know, I see the fundamental gap in how people are pitching this versus how it really works is private LTE is pitched in the market as a simple enough solution that enterprise IT teams can implement themselves, just like Wi-Fi. Well, if you are, um, and that just like Wi-Fi is what makes me smile. <laughs> just like that. Just like that. Right. So, yes. so well, like if, if you're in that business, you first of all know that even Wi-Fi implementations are generally not done by the enterprise IT teams themselves because of all the RF planning that goes behind it. And, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, Wi-Fi. Is, yeah, Wi-Fi. So the, let, me, let, me, let me jump in there. So I, for a very long time, thought Wi-Fi was very simple because to me, I go out, buy a radio for, or buy a Wi-Fi node from Best Buy, plug it in my house and voila, everything's done. And yes, all of the actual real IT stuff in buildings with interference planning and spectrum planning and channels and shadowing and all that stuff becomes nightmarish at best. So yeah, this and also even just the, how does the trans, like how does it changing sessions from one system to another? Yeah, that's all not a lot of fun for industry. So I don't, so yes, Maybe we can say it's already the case that private LTE is as simple as enterprise Wi-Fi. It's just that enterprise Wi-Fi is much more complicated than people really think through in most cases. Yeah, I think the the valid statement that is definitely simpler than the private cellular network you had previously understood. And uh, it is definitely simpler than that. But you're still still talking about the IT guys to know that, hey, you're, you're... either owning a spectrum or you have, you need some local infrastructure 
right? Your small cells, your, your yep. you know, packet core, you're doing a lot more things. And yeah. they may or may not have, you know, skills to run that themselves. And that's where entities like neutral host providers or the carrier themselves might play a role. Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. And we're already seeing this in several vendors. For example, Ruckus uh, is a vendor who tries to provide the full solution and tries to make it as simple as Wi-Fi, where they're putting up indoor nodes that just kind of work. And they have to provide the management service, the packet core, and all the other things that go with it. Because yes, LTE requires all of this stuff. And I think this is the other spot that vendors are going to have an entertaining time getting in. Because up till now, if I'm selling a packet core, I'm selling it to you know, Verizon. I'm selling it to a large, large, large group that is purchasing this packet core. So, or And if I have a management system for my antennas, my antennas are being used by one of four companies or three companies or two companies. And so therefore, yes, I can charge them you know, quarter million dollars a year to have a system that manages just, they does the management interface for the antennas. As private LTE comes in, the space both opens up and on the other side of this, they're going to have to, the, the big players today will have to understand, we will need to make systems that the small players can use effectively and not charge them an insane amount. So there's a big target, juicy op, juicy target for any, uh, the, any of your listeners who are thinking, is there a business opportunity for in, enterprise network management solutions? The answer is yes. Is there a business opportunity for enhanced packet cores? The answer is yes. And so all of these things come up with definite ability, especially private LTE opens up the demand for these yeah, pretty no, large. I totally agree. Widely. I think they will be seeing a lot more vendors um, and innovation in this space. Uh, you mentioned Ruckus, but I'm sure I've already seen many companies at Move World Congress. You know, they're already doing such a good work oh, yes. in this space already. So one last thing, and probably we're coming to time end here and want to connect the dot for audiences. CBRS, 5G, Wi-Fi 6. Relationship, disconnects, how does it, you know, play together? People say, I know CBRS is mostly being talked in context of LTE today. The 5G specs for using the CBRS band or the 3.5 gigahertz band are not out there. Although they are being used, I believe, outside US. Yeah. Um, yes. So why are we not able to use 5G with CBRS today in the United States? That's one question. So we are actually able to use 5G on CBRS. That was uh, It was opened as a 5G band. I believe earlier this year it was approved for a 5G band. So it is used, but it's uh, my understanding is that 3GPP spec is not coming out, have come out yet. Or is it, I might be behind in this. So I'd have to, honestly, this is one of those I have not been, I've been worried about making sure the spectrum access works. I have not been looking at which <laughs> protocol to be running on top of it. So the, my, I, sadly, I've been looking down the stack, not up the stack of, of late. So. Yeah, my, my view to all this is, you know, it, we just have to start categorizing private network as a category, which up until now for the enterprise had been Wi-Fi only. Mm-hmm. And uh, people get very defensive about one technology versus another, but I think we are truly getting into a headnet mode. And whether you know you're using it for a private consumption or for a public consumption as a commercial you know, use, um, we'll see multiple technologies under the umbrella of called 5G, right, working together. And uh, enterprise private networks are not going to be any any different. Uh, it's just the delineation between what had traditionally been used for the local area network, the, lo- the land side of the applications and the van side of applications are merging with this 
And there's, there's been an attempt in the past many times using Hotspot 2.0 and many other techs to do that. And I think this truly bridges the gap. And we're just looking at the fact that every spectrum has its own properties. Every deployment will have its own needs. And it's another tool in the tool belt of the IT professional to say, here's where we can use best to serve and the best uh, capacity band that we can give out at any given time. So it's just a another great tool to have there and it's a big piece of spectrum to go with. Perfect. Well, thanks, Oliver. This was a great discussion. I hope our listeners find it insightful. I hope we can do something like this together again on some other topic. I would love to. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks, Oliver. So there you have it, guys. Thanks, Taliwar, for giving us a very real picture of what to expect with CBRS and breaking it down to a level that is easy for enterprises to understand. Also, thanks for busting some important myths by sharing some use cases with us. It has definitely helped me connect the dots and I hope it has helped our listeners too. Take a moment to subscribe to the Alignment Podcast series so we keep delivering such exciting conversations and real-world stories straight to your inbox. Send your suggestions, questions, and feedback to me at ashish.jain at or reach me on LinkedIn.